sitting here in Toronto with Kelly Lee Evans. Thank you so much for joining me in this little conversation. I want to ask you from what I usually do is ask people about their, um, their lives and how they've come to where they are. And I'm interested in how you first got into music. How did I first get into music? You know, it's funny. I'm not even sure like when a good time to begin would be. Like maybe, um, I would say like my first solo was in say like kindergarten or something. You okay. know, kindergarten, early. grade one, like early. So that's when I first had like the bug, the bug bit me. And, um, and I've loved music ever since, but I never really considered it a, a viable career option until my mom passed away. And I was in, um, I was in university. I was taking my master's and she, she died. And it was, was like... totally unexpected? Nah. Like, I mean, it was unexpected-ish. She was diagnosed with cancer, multiple myeloma in, say, November of the, the previous year. And then she <laughs> died in June. So, I mean, we knew she was going. We knew that it was a cancer that didn't have a cure and that she wouldn't last. And they weren't really, the treatments weren't really for, like, you know curing it was for like you know ease of ease of comfort like comforting her but right. so so I knew it was coming but it's never it's always too soon you know sure. I think we all die too soon <laughs> you know and um and yeah so I would say that until she passed away I didn't really consider that was a there was a true possibility of me getting into music I'm using quotations so, so <laughs> during that time were you Playing in a band, singing well, along. I wasn't playing in a band. What I what I was doing in in the meantime was like throughout my life I would be called upon to sing, you know, or I would I would want to just contribute to something. So like there would be sports weekends or or talent shows or different things at school. At one point I was in a choir. I was in the Toronto Mendelssohn Youth Choir. Okay. Um, so like there was always something. There was always some, and people kind of like a few people here and there knew that I sang so like say if it was a family member and there was a funeral or a wedding they might ask me to sing something and I would sing a cappella because at that point I was too afraid to sing with musicians <laughs> and so all I knew was like these pop songs and I would sing them um, a cappella and that was like that was just kind of my stick and then when I started going to Carleton University I was taking my, my undergraduate in legal studies and then I got another one in English lit and then I started my master's in legal studies and like so were you thinking of becoming a lawyer yeah I just wanted to stay in school forever <laughs> I loved school <laughs> well, you were there for like seven years right? yeah it was scary it was, I was too scared to leave you know like and, and go into the I mean I really had no real plan I had no plan but it seemed like a great place to hide out while like because you really? can because yeah because your parents are off your back yeah. like it's just like well, I'm in school you know, what are you doing? I'm in school. You know, well, I'm in school. Sounds interesting. I'm you're, in school after law and maybe. <laughs> but, <I was laughs> but in your mind, you didn't think that would be a possibility. I didn't think so because I would, I you know when I would, I would like listen to the uh, guest lecturers come in. Like say we have, we used to have a criminal law lecture or come in. I was like, nah, I don't think so. Because like my family thought that because I was argumentative, I would be good as a lawyer, like always arguing. So that's why they thought that would be good. And I always like to fight for truth and justice, like <laughs> kind of like your name. I wanted, to, I wanted to, to save everybody. Always like, you know, trying to fix things. And um, so yeah, I had a, I don't know, I had this like, 
I can just say that I didn't have a plan. I just thought I would hide out. You know, um, there was this point after my undergrad that I was trying to figure out what to do next. And there was this path I could go into, like learn to read music and take the music program, you know, at Carleton or my, uh, my fourth year seminar, um, professor thought I would be good in legal philosophy because I, I enjoyed thinking about. So, but you didn't sound like you were actually even taking music as part of your minor or anything. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. I was not a musician. How did you view music? I I viewed it as, I viewed it as the same exact way that I view it now. Like there's nothing has changed. Music is for release and fun. And I view it as something that, you know, I enjoy, like I, I, I see music as like a, as leading to a state change, you know? So if you are sad and you want to feel happy, music. <laughs> if you're happy and you want to, you want to feel happier, <laughs> music. Is it's it like always a, to make it's it a prescription. Better? Mostly, you know. I don't. I don't generally hope to feel worse. And and worse. I mean, you know. No, but I don't. I don't. If I'm feeling up, I don't want to. I don't want to listen to stuff. Like if I, I will stop listening to something if I feel bad when I'm listening to it. You know, okay. like if I was feeling good and I start listening to something, I'm just bringing me down. I don't want to come. I don't want to come down. Like I either match my mood or, or raise it, but I don't want to feel worse. Like I don't. Yeah, I don't want to feel worse. Well, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Like who wants to feel worse? Exactly. But, but there is something but, to be said about hearing something beautiful and being moved by right. it. Right. Maybe. But usually I'm in that space. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like it's. I find like I'll either attract music that matches where I'm at. So if I'm feeling melancholic then I might listen to something melancholic and stay melancholic and perhaps be moved by it. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe I'll cry maybe, but I'm usually like still in that vein. Like it's very rare that I'm like so joyous. And then I listen to something that's so hateful that takes me out of that space, you know? And if it starts doing that, I turn it off, (laughs) you know, like I'm the same way with movies too. Like if something's feeling off about it or if there's a book and I'm like, I start reading it and I'm like, whoa, no, like there's tons of series that people are like, you should watch this. And I'll watch a couple seconds. I'm like, I don't feel like watching somebody get like chopped up, you know? And so I, I step away. But I I wonder, and this is kind of going off course, but in your show, I presume you go through peaks and valleys. Yeah. So you will want your audience to come along for the ride mm-hmm. and, and you have your ups and downs. Is it easy, but, is it easy to go to that darker place while you're performing? I always go to a dark place when I'm performing because I, my performances generally reflect real life and there's darkness and light in real life. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say that it's easy, but it's just, it is. You know, it's like, it, it's just what, it is what it is. Like, and, and the funny thing is it's, you know, like, you can, um, I mean, people come to each performance as they are. And so, like, a song that I might have written as a lullaby that was meant to calm might evoke something else from the listener that mm-hmm. might totally be something different. And and it's it's funny, like, that you know, when you go to speak to somebody afterwards and they tell you how they felt about this particular song, and I mean... You might have been in a completely different place, but they they meet it, they meet it where they're at, you right. know. So each um, I I haven't I have a goal that people leave my show feeling better than they came in, but I can't 
say how much better or what better from what or you know like I can't so I don't I just my hope is that you know that nobody is 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 in a worse position by interacting with me Hmm. you know I agree and I can I can understand why yeah but tell me and and I hate to bring this up but when you said that you when your mom passed away you thought about music tell me how that happened well you know it was um because it was always this underpinning, like everything that I did, I was still doing with this understanding that were I in control, were I not having to think about other people's ideas on what I should do, music would be what I would do. Oh, okay. So that was always... That was it. Heart. Okay. That was always it from, from the get-go. I had other things that I'm good at and I'm, I can be good at everything. You know, like I was an all-around student. So, and and if you give me a subject, I'll do my best to learn as much as I can about it. But my passion is music. My passion is singing. My passion is interacting with people um, via song. And so I just didn't know how to stand up to my parents and tell them what I wanted to do. But in, in not standing up, you were only playing part time, and you weren't really working at the craft. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. I'm mean, very like not even part time. Like it was like so sporadic, you know. There and uh, there was a tiny bit of dreaming happening. I would say like I was actually kind of trying to do a little bit more before she got sick. You know. And, and what would that have been? Like I know you're considered a jazz musician, but yeah. everything I hear from you doesn't automatically suggest jazz. Exactly. So so the the nexus of the uh, the. The way that it really began was that I was um, I was dating well, my my ex husband at the time we were dating and he had a roommate and we were visiting with the roommate and his girlfriend and she was talking about this trip that she'd taken in high school to New Orleans and uh, it was for jazz band and she said oh jazz is so difficult I don't think you could ever learn it just like the offhand comment <laughs> was it a dare it wasn't a dare was she didn't. The joke of this comment is that I met her maybe two or three years ago. And so, like, you know, fast forward, like, you know, I've got a few accolades under my belt. I've won a few awards. I've toured a few countries, (laughs) you know, made a few albums. Jazz is under, like, my name, you know. So I'm like, hey, (laughs) you remember when you said that? She's like, no. (laughs) It was actually a situation like this. She was working on... She works like as a, I think she's in film or something and we were doing a documentary. And so I saw her and I was like, you remember like you told me that? And like, I totally made this career based on this quote unquote dare or non dare, <laughs> you know, like this flyaway comment that somebody makes just kind of like off, off the cuff and then never thinks of it again. Meanwhile, it turns in your brain and shapes your life. That's crazy. Now, I know that like you did the Nina Simone album, and I know that there is your mom loved Nina Simone, mm. so there was jazz in your family. So you, I presume you grew up listening to some of that. Not really, like she, because like I wouldn't even say that anybody ever said like Nina Simone, this is jazz. You know, okay. like it it didn't feel like jazz to me. And the only jazz I heard when I was growing up was like, um, you know, everybody wants to be a cat because a cat's the only cat. <laughs> Who knows where it's at? Like so, that was from like the Aristocats. There was Jungle Book, <laughs> you know. Um, 
Vince whatever from um, Charlie Brown Christmas. Yep. I can never say his last name. Is it Geraldi? Yes. I think so. <laughs> that guy. That's the only jazz from my life. So I did not grow up listening to jazz. Okay. I grew up listening to like pop. I grew up listening to country and western. I grew up listening to reggae and soca and calypso. And I grew up listening to children's music and like just, I did not listen to jazz growing up, but I listened to Nina Simone because my mom listened to Nina Simone. Right. And so it's funny how I remember um, I was talking to, uh, to like uh, this, this famous jazz trumpeter. <laughs> well, I was talking to Terrence Blanchard and he was, um, he was, uh, I was telling him, like, I'm not a jazz, I'm not a jazz singer. You know, I'm not, I'm not a jazz singer. I was just like, this is like pretty, this is an, after the competition in 2004, okay. the Thelonious Monk competition. And well, you came in second. Yeah. And he was, uh, he was, we were talking about like me going to study with him before. This is before Katrina. I was going to go and study with him in, in, in New Orleans on a grant that I had been awarded. And um, I was like, yeah, but I'm not a jazz singer. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And he, he was just like, it's everything, you, it's in everything that you do, like your voice, the way that you phrase, it's you, you just, it's just like, you can't escape it. So it's like, as much as you think that you're not, like, it's just in the way that you do things. And he's right. Like every time I do like what I would consider to be a pop sound, people still, oh, that's jazz. You know, there's something about the way that I sing that is jazz. And it's... But uh, I wonder if you go to a Thelonious Monk comp- vocal competition... Yes. And you come in second. First of all, if you go and decide that you're going to enter this competition, yeah. there's got to be jazz. Well, <laughs> at the time, like, I was singing jazz. I was singing jazz. I have, like, I listened to so much jazz. Because this woman, this young girl at the time, made this comment to me. I went and I wanted to just, I immersed myself in jazz. So Just I, from that one comment. Yeah, that one comment. And that's the kind of person that I, I, I am, you know? Like, I'll just... I'll get excited about something and I just, you know, obsessively research. And so for that, for about a year, maybe a year and a half, every month I chose a different artist and I researched them. Like, so January would be Ella Fitzgerald and I would go and I would get every Ella Fitzgerald. I'm probably like, I probably have Asperger's. I don't know. (laughs) There's There's something, there's something different about my brain that wants to obsess about a topic and then it's done. You know, and so I like, you know, February was Billy Billy Holiday, Mel Torme, I Nina Simone, like everybody got a month, and I would read autobiography. This is while I was in university. <laughs> I don't know where I found that time. Start studying law. Studying, and it was just like I was, you know, I was studying law, like the sociology of law, so how the law works in society, and um, and philosophy of law. So not to be a lawyer, but to other aspects of the right. law, how the law, like I wanted to be like a, a th- like somebody that would think about how law works. And so that's, that's what I was mainly doing. But yeah, the, um, that's how I, that's how jazz seeped into my brain. So I know you had connection to music and you loved singing. When, when you started this journey down path of jazz, did it connect with you immediately? Or at what point did it connect with you? I would say from the from the beginning, yeah. <laughs> because I I chose I chose to focus on the voice and I chose these wonderful women, you know, who became like these beacons of light and and I loved I loved voice and so and I mean, you can't 
listen to like Sarah Vaughn or Ella Fitzgerald and not think they're awesome. <laughs> you just can't. You know, I I had a more conflicted relationship listening to say Billie Holiday or Nina because their voices to me weren't they weren't perfect. You know, and they felt so raw and real, and I they I found them frightening. You know, so it was harder for me to connect with them, but I still gave them I still respected them and gave them the time and the and I learned about them as much as I could. And then of course you start to to there's like a there's an excitement, you know, of, of mastery, you know, of learning the songs and the arrangements right. and, and then getting together with other people and and it's like puzzles. It's like doing puzzles with your brain and, and so it's just uh and being able to kind of sing along and like match everything, that's fun. And so there's a, the, once the fun aspect gets in, you know, I find that's the same thing with like so many things. Like I, I did the same kind of obsessive learning to learn French. <laughs> and um, I think I've calmed down a bit, you know, in the way that I learn information. I'm but you're kinda, focused. I've, I focus in and I find the most efficient way to learn something. So you, you, go down this journey, you listen to Ella Fitzgerald, and then are you automatically thinking, I can sing like that? Like, So how, how does the the learning part I understand, yeah. reading books and listening, yeah. and singing along, I presume, to records, yeah. but how does that translate into maybe a career, or maybe this is a, a, a path that I want to take? Well, I'd already wanted to have a career before that. So, I mean, I'd already loved listening to like, and singing along with other singers. So it was just like a continuation. So I'd already done that with Whitney and done that with Charday and, and you know, and I'd already like Michael Jackson and all these people like loved Blondie and I loved, I loved Fro Bitsalin and like whoever, you know, so I'd, it was just a continuation of the way that I did things. So I don't think I had this, but what I liked about this was like for the first time, there seems like a path, you know, like when you're singing pop songs, I mean, at the time, it just looked like you could be on Star Search if you wanted to have a career, you know. If, I'm not sure if it's really a career. It's your 15 like, minutes. You know, your 15 yeah, yeah. minutes, somebody would discover you, you get a record label, get a record deal at the end. You know, that's how my brain saw yeah. it. And then, but for jazz, like jazz looked like an actual career path, you know, you can have gigs people come and see you like uh, people go and that's how my brain saw it as being more more possible than and I loved it and it was cool I tell you it really was like like improvising was like doing puzzles you know and and it was fun to get it to get it to sound good you know and and in 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 reality you you kind of started late oh yes I mean I know you sang when you were really young yeah to to focus in on a career you started after yeah. university or while you're going to university. And I started writing my own music like even later. So I mean when I first started doing jazz I was singing standards. And um but one of my favorite uh singers was Abby Lincoln and the albums that I was listening to were her later works where she maybe had one standard on the album and you know I found I had to it took me a huge jump like there was a huge jump in my brain where I in the beginning I only wanted to listen to singers who were doing standards and I couldn't wrap my brain around new music right and then there was a shift that happened and all of a sudden I didn't want to hear standards can I ask you what caused that shift I feel like it's the same shift that happened with um with uh, me feeling comfortable finally listening to Billy and listening to Nina. It was this, um, this, this desire, this kind of hunger for, well, I think it, this hunger for something new, this hunger for listening to 
mistakes maybe you know to accepting mistakes accepting my own mistakes right. um i lost my voice at this point mm, a little i think it was around 2000 2001 or so i i was having problems like i would be speaking and my voice would cut out and i developed vocal nodules and i couldn't speak for about i was not allowed to speak for i was told not to speak for a year but i ended up lasting about 10 months and um so I, when you don't speak for a year what, what? How do you communicate? Oh, Are you writing things down? Are I you... became like a fly on the wall. You write a bit, but mainly you walk in. Like it would be funny because I would walk into a, a, say, a, say like a dinner party and it still parts, you know, just kind of make signs to say that I don't, I'm not speaking. My, my ex-husband would explain to somebody, oh, she's like, she's, to, she's not allowed to speak, you know, from, because it was either speak, uh, surgery or or, or don't speak. And, and it was I, just basically a rest. Yeah, okay. complete vocal rest. And so... Sorry. At what point... It, so what? at what point did you decide that you wanted to pursue music as a career? Well, just before this. Like, I had actually decided, like, say, around when my mom passed away, I realized, like, life is so short. She passed away in 1990... I want to say 99? 99. Okay. So, and you lost your voice in 2000? Yeah. Yikes. So... I, when she passed away, I dropped out of my master's and decided that I wanted to pursue music because life is short. So was it immediate? It was pretty close. Like it was actually, no, I lasted a year. I lasted a year of still trying to finish my thesis, trying to finish, could not do it. And um, it just wasn't happening. I'd had my, I had my daughter about 2000, September 2000. And I was trying to, you know, do my thesis, take care of this baby who didn't sleep. And so I didn't sleep. <laughs> and uh, it was really stressful. And I realized that I wasn't doing well. I had a bad ulcer and I was really stressed out. And the, uh, I ended up going to see this guru in outside Montreal. And she kind of helped me just ask new questions. And when I came back from this visit with her, I dropped out of my thesis and my ulcer went away immediately. And that was like, to me, a sign that I was making the right choice. And I called my dad to say that I was going to drop, I was, had dropped out. And he said he was disappointed and didn't speak to me for, I think it was about five years. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and I had to kind of decide what to do. And it was around then that I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to do this. I want to pursue music. But then the nodules. So like, so sorry. So the so nodules. Why wasn't that a sign? No, I'm just kidding. I know, right? So it's funny because it was like, it was really. I don't know. It was interesting, kind of like to see how. When you, because one of the things you'd ask me is like, what's it like not being able to speak? Mm-hmm. And I said I was a fly on the wall. And what was interesting to me was how you can be with people, and once they know that you don't speak, that's it. You can just meld into the background, and all of a sudden you become an observer, and life just looks different. And I had not been an observer. I'm a speaker. I'm always talking. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> talk 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 talk. And it was like an interesting. 10 months of just being just observing and I found the same thing happened when I would go to uh when I traveled to France when I first started going to France I didn't really understand what people are saying around me and I didn't speak much French 
And so it was such a wonderful time. Like you could just kind of like, when you don't speak and people aren't going to make an effort to speak to you, not because they don't like you, but just because it's easier for them to just speak their language and, you know, and you can kind of just slip into the background. You see the world in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's actually, you just become an observer and life goes on around you and you kind of affect it, but you don't really, you know, it's really, really interesting. And so when I came back to singing, I always felt like my voice was never quite the same. Like didn't have that, what I would have considered pristine quality that I, I admired in like say the Ellis. But did you have that initially? I felt that I did. Oh, okay. Right? So I felt that like initially that I did. And when it came back, it came back more raw, more with more life. And also, lo and behold, my mom had passed away. I'd had all these different experiences. I was a mother. Um, I had been like abandoned by my father. All of a sudden now, listening to somebody like Billy or Nina, I can hear what they're singing about. I can understand more what they're singing about. And so now I want to hear stories. And... I started to have, because one of the other issues that I've always had about singing standards or somebody else's song is there's always something I don't agree with. You know, there's always some aspect of the lyrics where I'm like, "Mm, that's not really me, you know, and I'm singing it because somebody wants to hear it. And then people are like, oh, we'd love you. I would love to hear you do this song. It's like, okay, but this is not my story. And so I started to have respect for storytellers and that, that, I think changed when I felt like I had more of a story as I started to mature for myself. And um, so I would say around 2000 and hmm, I don't know, like I'm not really great with dates, which is a challenge because I'm trying to do a biography and an autobiography and it's like, what are these dates? But let's say around 2002 or so, I, um, 2003, I started to write. And, um, was that difficult? Yeah, you know what was difficult? It was this idea that I had the entire time that you're not supposed to start writing in your 20s. You know, like these are like skills that you should have learned way earlier. That's how I thought. You know, songwriters must have started when they were like five. <laughs> like, like virtuosos, you know, yeah. in any other instrument. Like you need to be five and like practicing six hours a day. That's how I saw it. So when... Like when um, I was listening to these other singers writing, I was like, well, that's not me. I can't do that. And um, and I don't have anything to say, you know? But then like, I just kind of let the voice in. And oh, like, I wouldn't even say it's let the voice in. I just got out of the voice's way, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and started to write. And at the beginning, just... There's, I mean, and I still feel a bit of it, you know, when I write now, there's that, before you actually share it, there's that trepidation of somebody hearing your inner thoughts, you know, no matter whether you kind of maybe finessed some of it and there's like, you took some artistic license, there's, there's, it's very autobiographical to me, you know? You're you're revealing yourself. Yeah. And, um... But I recognize its its purpose and its value, and the value that song and create songwriters and creators have. When I um was like 
I was, we were performing, like I was, I met with my friend Drew Gonzalez, who's in Kobo Town. And he, at that time he had, Kobo Town didn't exist. And he was also writing and he sat down and played the songs uh, for me while I sang. And there was a girl that I had known for like such a long time in the room with us. And she was like one of these high achievers, somebody that was like so smart and so amazing. And like one of these people that we all wanted to be. And I was, you know, they're not really like that. I know, but I had no idea back then. <laughs> I just learned that last year. So, <laughs> so, but she, you know, she seemed so perfect. And I was singing about not being perfect. And she, she listened and she said, who told you that? You know? And I was like, mm, what are you talking about? She's like, who told you that? And I'm like, that's what I feel. And she's like, but that's what I feel, you know? And it was like, oh, Wow. Okay. And this is somebody that would never, like, she would never be able to say that, mm -hmm. but I can say it, you know? And it was amazing. Like, that's the power that we have as performers. Like, we say the things that people may not be able to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, like, gets me excited about music. When somebody pinpoints how I feel and they nail it. And it was like, yes! That's what I've been feeling. I haven't been able to put it into words or into like a visual representation or whatever. But that's how I feel at this very moment. Or I felt that way and finally somebody else gets it. And, and it's, I think it's also the you too. Like that is such an amazing feeling when you feel that mm -hmm. with somebody. And so I like that hooked me, you know, that hooked me. That whole idea that I could be that voice for others just by telling my story. We step back and in, in that 10 months when you couldn't speak, did you ever doubt you could sing? And I have a feeling I'm going to mm -hmm. wind up asking this a few yeah. times in your life, but at yes. that point. Yes, that's the scariest, it was the scariest thing. It's like, and, and yes, it, I do feel this, you know, like I, I'm having that right now, you know, where I don't know what's coming, you know, you don't yeah. know what's coming. I and so I know you know the feeling. <laughs> um, you, are you going to get better? Are you going to walk again? Right. Are you going to, like there was, you know, for five months I was in a wheelchair. Would I always be in the wheelchair? I have no idea. And you make these choices and you make these decisions with not knowing like what's coming. And then when the it comes back, what to what level will you be? I, I get the feeling though, you're a very positive person, right? Yeah. And very spiritual and whatever. Yeah. Um, and I can't help but to think that when you go through the the hard times and the darkest periods that that positivity probably isn't there all the time. Oh, right? You know what's so funny? I have to say it's like I got through my mom's death. I got through a couple times where I almost like died myself. Um, through losing my voice, still stayed pretty positive. Um, even I would say through most, like through my divorce, I still start to stay pretty positive through the lightning strike, still pretty positive. It's this last injury that I finally like when people are like, I never understood when people were like talking about depression. I would be like, you just need to like think positive thoughts. <laughs> I would yeah, just be sure. like, you just need to be positive. You know, that's, that'll, that'll, that'll sort that right out. I never got it. I never got it. I never understood it. Until finally, like, this period where... Well, I actually got it sometimes when I was pregnant. Because I would have this hormonal right. reaction. And then, but still, when the hormones were out of my system, I would go back 
And I was like, well, there you go, you know? And I, so I would say that as empathetic as I feel I am and have been, I didn't get it until this last injury. So I hit my head in 2015, so two this years ago. Concussion. Yeah, two years and is ago. It, is that related to the, the lightning yes. strike? yeah. So yeah. at that point, because of the lightning strike, and, and for those who don't know, you were basically cleaning up in the kitchen and all of a sudden there was an electric storm and, and you got struck inside your house mm-hmm. in the kitchen. Yeah. Like with, But it didn't go through your window. It went through your... It went through the pipe. So it's electrocution by conduction. So, you know, I was touching metal in the house and it went up through the metal pipes and and it got me. <laughs> and, and when that happened, what happened? Well, it just... it I would say like it just fried my brain. Like in... It, Everything is, nothing works the same way that it used to, you know. Did you just collapse? No, I didn't collapse at that moment. I'm told I threw the sponge that I was because wiping a counter with a sponge. And I'm told that I, you know, said I'm going to bed. And I walked down the hall and I went to lay down and I was out for 12 hours. So the people around you, did they know that you got struck by a Yeah, because they heard the hit and the, the radio died. Like the radio never came back to life. You know, but was it obvious that you had been hot? Yeah, hit? well, because I shouted, they said. Oh, okay. And so, but I don't think anybody knew what to do. Like my, it was my kids and my ex, and yeah. I don't think anybody knew what to do. And I wasn't really somebody that went to the doctor and went to the, like I did not like to go to the hospital. You know, and I kept saying I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm just gonna go to bed. And um, and so you know. And I didn't go for a few days because I, I kept thinking that it was going to get better. I felt like, you know, it's just, yeah, well, I'm still alive, so it'll be fine. It'll get better. And it just kept getting worse, mm-hmm. you know? And um, and I just kept losing my functions. And finally, like, to the point where, like, people were having to cut my food and I couldn't, like, walk. And, and But you still stayed positive. I still stayed positive through all that. Where does that come from? <laughs> my mother. Yeah? My mom. From the beginning, she used to, I remember, I remember cleaning up like in her room and she had like books by Norman Vincent Peale and she was just like, she was a light, you know, she was just a light. And even when she passed away, I felt like what my light had gone because she was also one of those people where like if she was pissed off at you the next morning, it was like, like she was like sunshine again, you know, she whip your ass, but still, still like, you know, be so loving the next day. Just kind of messed up, but um, <laughs> that's just that's not normal. super messed up. It's totally messed your brain as an yeah, you know, when you, as a 42 year old, you're like, that's actually not good. But is this <laughs> because how do you reconcile with that? You know, how do you reconcile somebody beating the shit out of you and still like loving you? You know, it's, it's a hard place to be, anyways. That's something more I'm learning about, but yeah, so I learned, you know, to stay positive regardless. But do you think when you saw the dark side, yeah, do you think it was just because of everything else that had happened as opposed to, I mean, I, I presume the concussion was a horrible thing to live through. Yeah. But I just wonder if it was a cumulative thing. It's cumulative. It's cumulative. It's back to that same story. It's the, I think, I think the darkest times came, it's like a, when the lightning strike happened. I kept positive, I kept positive, I kept positive. And I had this appointment with uh, the uh, neurologist. And it took... Sorry, and if we go time, I know you're not good with 2013. 2013. Yeah, so. so finally in July. So it happened in, I think it happened in June. Was it May or June? I can't even remember. We'll have to look back. 
my brain's done for hunt for dates. But so finally, like say like a month or so later, I go and I meet the neurologist and she was like, well, I can't really help you. You know, you're just going to have to like heal on your own. There's no pill. There's nothing you can do. I'm like, what? That led to my first real feeling of depression. Right. But because it was just <laughs> like, what? What are you saying? What are you saying? You don't have a plan because I've been waiting to see you and you don't have a plan. And so when I went to see her and she said that, I felt depressed. I felt low. Let's call it low. But then I realized like I had like this thing on Canada AM a couple days later, a week later. So I had basically a week of low. And then it, it hit me was like, oh, I can't be low. Like I can't go on television, national television and pretend to be happy and positive because I'm known for being positive. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember. I'm known for being positive. So I can't be um, negative on Canada AM. So I'm going to need to do whatever I can to get out of that funk. And around that same time, people started writing me and, and it just like, it just seemed like the universe knew that I needed support at that time and all this great stuff came in. So then I lifted out of that. And then, so that lasted maybe a week, but then fast forward now to like this, this one, like I'm two years in and this is my first like flight to like my gig. Like I took a flight last December, but this is my first time on the flight and my body, I feel broken. You know, when you leave, I'm going to like take a nap for sure. I'm so and, excited. No, don't do that. that. No, but I'm going to take a nap and I'm going to hope that tomorrow's a good day. And this is, I think like, I think it's like these long-term, you know, chronic illnesses where you don't know, you have no clue. And it's like, holy fuck, hurry up, come back, mm -hmm. but full function. And it's like, and then when you have doctors say to you, well, this could be your new normal. You're like, what? That's not so like before I think like I was so much of a fighter I was gonna just like you couldn't tell me what things were gonna be like because I was just gonna make it my way and now it's learning like oh I don't have like power over everything I'm not like the superhero that I thought I was I might be a superhero in a different way but I'm not the superhero I don't have the powers I thought I had so I think like what what's what's coming out for me now is more like okay you know um so like, again, I hit like a low period, right? But it was so funny because I was, went to, I went to uh, like a rehab center, like it took me like three years from the lightning strike to actually seeing, going to the rehab center for my first injury. That's how long the wait was. Yikes. And I went there and I'm like, finally, you know, this guy's going to help me. He's going to help me. And he's like, oh, you're depressed. And I'm like, what? I waited three years for you to tell me that I'm depressed. I wouldn't have been depressed if I'd seen somebody like the week after right, my right, injury. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You think, <laughs> right? And they were like, yeah, you should like, we're going to sign you up for these like mindfulness things. We're going to sign you up for all this stuff or whatever. And it's like, their idea is that like, if you're still sick after all this time, it's because you're depressed or like, maybe that's not it, but like, it's like they want to, that they're going to have to deal with that before mm -hmm. they can deal with anything else. And I'm like, I'm probably not explaining it properly, but that's no, but just it kind makes of the way that me. I see it, yeah. you know? And I so I kind of, funny enough, like I don't do well on any kind of like medication. Like I'm allergic to so many things. And so I recognize that I'm going to have to do this myself, you know, so that's, there's no pharmaceutical treatment for me that I'm comfortable taking. So I need to work the tools that I know. So what I've learned from this whole process is like, I need to, 
embrace this whole idea of self-care. You know, I'm making the quotations. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what that was before. I really couldn't, like, I didn't care about myself, you know? Like, I cared about my kids. I cared about my manager. I cared about my booking agent. I cared about my musicians. I cared about the fans, you know? I cared about making sure I stayed on the road to take care of everybody. But I didn't care about myself. So if you asked me to do... 10 interviews and show and and get in like at 2 a.m. and be back in the lobby for 5 a.m. to do it all over again the next day, I would do it without any thought to my body. And and even if I was like not at 100%. And my body finally, last two years ago, you know, said no. And that's the only explanation for why the tiniest bump on a wall, like we're not talking like uh, like I got hit by a truck. I fainted and I hit my head on the wall and it's taken me out for two years, but it didn't take out a healthy body. Like I physically, I was already weakened from the, <laughs> the lightning strike, but I was also like my, my system was just like in like overload right. from the constant touring and trying to be everything to everybody and nothing to nothing to myself. So what I'm trying to do now is to learn how do I, value myself to even this like a equal degree to the how much value i place on on others you know and it's it's really like it's funny because when you are sick and you have no true obligations it's easier to take a bath and meditate and it's when the other obligations to others start to creep back in that you are willing to say well i can probably forego um, the nap today, and I'll no, I'll take the nap maybe later. But I don't. Can you do that? I mean, you have three kids. So I can't imagine ever that you can forego much. I have to schedule it. Like I mean, I I make my day now. I have like I'll show you. You're looking at my calendrier, <laughs> so it's it's the here it says interview with you. I was supposed to take a nap. Um, before you came. Once again, I feel really bad. Don't worry, don't worry. No, it's... But so I, all the things that I'm supposed to do for myself are in blue. And so when I wake up in the morning, there's certain things I do my affirmations. I do my mindfulness. Um, there's the pink things are the things that I kind of like need to do, like make breakfast, do admin, have lunch. And the green things are things that I schedule. And the yellow things are things for the family. And I, I've made it so that I wake up and I do my self-care. And I have a list of things that I consider important are important to me. And I do my best not to schedule anything at those times. But most of the time I'm doing my self-care, the world isn't even awake. Like I'm yes, up, I, I got the email very early yeah, this morning. <laughs> I'm up at like 5.30 or 6 and I'm, I'm doing my own thing. And, and I, I found a way to take care of myself where it doesn't interfere with others and their plans. But at the same point, I had to learn something called boundaries which I t- appears I didn't have before and I didn't know how to say no to people you know and so now I'm you know like you heard my friend called and asked if I could do dinner and I was like no I'm gonna stay in mm-hmm. in you know and the old me wouldn't have been able to do that this me is more capable of doing it because I have this like while I'm sick you know what I mean or while I'm not well and right. in order for me to do this but I wish I had known how to do that without there needing to be a reason. Like I, I, I would love to be able to teach my kids or anybody to just be able to say no. 
not no, my mom doesn't want me to, or my husband doesn't want me to, or no, I have like, you know, my boss won't allow me to, but just no. But, <laughs> but you know, I just, I just think being in the business that you are mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we haven't even talked about the, the, the rise because, you know, you talked about not starting very early, but you seem to have achieved a lot in a very short period of time. The fact that you won the the competition within three or four years after you decided to pursue music was pretty amazing because I'm sure you were competing against people who had been singing professionally all their career, or whatever, all their lives, and and so you know obviously you have something, but also you you're in a position that people want to interview you that there is demands made upon you which is not the case for every musician out there do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i the, the more, longer i do this the more i appreciate the fact that how famous musicians or people who have a big following they're just so lucky you know yeah. that that everybody wants to have fans and but that's not necessarily the case okay. and, and, yeah. you know and and the fact that you might have 10 interviews that you have to deal with. There are probably musicians out there who've been working for years who haven't done 10 interviews, you know? Yeah. And, and I know that's crazy, but it's a, it's a weird thing. And I just wonder, if you have the opportunity to do 10 interviews, I would think most musicians would do it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think that's, I think because I never hit like that big notoriety, you know, where, so to me, that's why I said yes. You know, like when, when I, just before I hit my head, Universal France was doing promotion for the album, which was released like the day after I hit my head. So November, the I think it's the 12th or the 13th, 2015. And so I, um, you know, finally here I am, this like quote unquote jazz artist who's receiving like like a, a lot more press requests and sitting in, a, in the office at Universal and like people are coming in and like, and, and I've got, you know, a slot with like pop stars to be on television a little bit in a couple of weeks and and it's it's happening you know what i mean like finally the the album is like starting to get some traction and it's playing mm -hmm. not just on jazz radio but it's playing on on like uh like more regular stations and so it's looking like things are happening you know so yeah you don't say no i didn't say no um you know i've never said no never like i i i i I did a show, uh, I had a, a, a miscarriage in the, in the dressing room before a show and I still went out. I never said no. Wow. You know? Never said no. And so, because I have that sense of like gratitude and like, but also scarcity. That sense of like, you don't say no to a gig. You don't give up an opportunity to go on the road. I went on the road with a five-week-year-old, a five-week-old after my son was born, you know? could still feel like my guts moving inside and I was you know like that's how, like that's who that's who I was you don't say no and if people ask you to perform you figure out how to do it like so that was that was before that was before this injury you know when it happened I my body wouldn't let me get out of bed like I couldn't even I had to crawl to the bathroom I so I know that now you're still trying to get back on the horse, I guess. Mm. But you are playing now. Yeah, yeah. What's that like? It's 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 scary because I don't know. 
I feel like I don't know. Like, is my body going to support this effort or not? Mm-hmm. Like, I learned that I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge. Like, old Kelly Lee that said no to nothing <laughs> or said yes to everything. Right. She was not. She didn't know that she wasn't in charge. And so I, as I said, I learned that it's up to my body to tell me if I can do something. And I may not be able to push through things. So this performing feels frightening, but it also feels like, it feels, it feels like home. Because I really sense that this is like something that I, one of the things that I was meant to do, you know? So it feels like coming home. Every concert is a homecoming because it's generally like 90% people who know who I am and are coming to to welcome me back. Can you are you able to tour in France now or is no, it too No. Too I mean this is my first flight like my first flight to was from Ottawa to Toronto. Right. I mean I did take a flight when I thought my father was you know near to death last year. Okay, I have to ask about your dad. Yeah. So he kind of disowned you. Yeah, he just not kind of like straight up disowned. <laughs> I was like it was very clear. Um, yeah. And but then, you connected again. Yeah, we connected again. And so now we just, we have like our, we have our relationship that works, that works now, you know, works in its own way. How did that happen? Um, my ex at the time was always like trying, you know, keeping in touch with him. And when, but when I split up with my ex, we, um, I think it was like my brother, my dad, I was talking, I would start to talk a little bit more to my dad and, um, and he came up and he, he watched the kids for a bit, a bit while I was on tour and helped out, you know, so, so it was, um, I think like I'm always, I have this kind of, this, this desire, I think always for like connection with family, you know, my family, this idea that I have a family is really important. I want, I have this, this image of like what family can and should be. And, um, but I also have a great respect for crafting family like or embracing the family that you receive so now I feel like less in need of like having family like existing family conform to like what I my dream of what they should be and like more I embrace more like the people around me that have assembled you know and they become like they inhabit the roles in whichever however whichever way that they can and it's been like this you know being ill and and just throughout my recovery i'm meeting so many people that you know have are like sisters or brothers or fathers or mothers and aunts and uncles and you know there was no blood there's no blood relation but they are just as important to me and and i hope i'm as important to them i can feel that i am you know and feel that my kids are so, I mean, we live in a city where we don't have any blood relatives, but we, uh, we have a support system that's strong and, uh, and vibrant. One of the examples of that would be Amanda Martinez. Yeah. Um, I don't know her very well, but I, did, I have known her in the past. What an amazing person. Yeah. She's, she's, she's family. <laughs> she's sure. family. She's family. And, and, and also those people who contributed to the crowdsourcing. And you know what's it's funny? Um, what we're talking about is that... Uh, Amanda started up a uh, crowdfunding for me just about like 
maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month, a month after my injury. And it was at a time when I really had no clue what we were going to do. I mean, it had already started. I mean, as much as you can be, quote unquote, successful in this industry, if you don't make good decisions and if you're constantly reinvesting without like saving, um, when hard times hit, it can be, you know, mm-hmm. and it, hard times hit before I got I, before I got hurt. I was wondering what I was going to do right before that happened. And so... You know, she we had we had we'd constantly been in touch anyway for throughout the years, and um, we talked we talked a few times a week, and she um, she knew what was going on, and she offered to do this, and I I think I didn't I did not know before that I didn't know my place in my community, you know I didn't know I was more used to doing and not receiving and not giving and not receiving and. I had no comfort level in receiving at mm-hmm. all, at all. <laughs> so she took it took her a, a, probably about a week to convince me to agree to the crowdfunding and to craft the letter and all that. And then when the money started coming in, I felt sick to my stomach and wanted to shut it down. And then finally, like it came in so fast as well. Like we were, we knew that the year would be fine you know and that I could rest and not worry and that was like to receive that ease like I hadn't had that ease mm-hmm. ever <laughs> you know I've been working uh since I was 14 like in some capacity you know so to know I, I we were okay and I could just rest it's pretty amazing it's amazing the lessons you learn right mm-hmm. like I mean you go through this and this is <clears throat> a tough time and, and you've gone through these little hurdles not little but these difficulties and then you you have something like that like where tons of people contribute to your well-being right. it's pretty amazing it's amazing and it's funny because it's like i'll meet those people <laughs> on the street and like, how are you doing kelly lee you know and you realize like so many people invested they invested in my health mm-hmm. and they didn't just say like I mean, there was like they would say like get better because we want to see you, but they would say don't come back until you're better, you know. And I wish I wish I could take another year off. I would because I don't feel better, but I feel better than I was. But I don't feel like healed. But I also recognize maybe it might be longer, and I don't know, and I I don't feel like living, like you know, off people's generosity for another year. So I'm trying to make sure that like we we are okay. My my family's okay, but yeah. It's something when you, like, the food we ate for an entire year was provided for us by other people. You know, like the programs my children were able to enroll, be enrolled in or our living expenses, like, just knowing that, like, so, like, you know, if you have a certain level of pride, like, that needs to fall away. You know, and so it's it's a very humbling experience. But at the same point, I also had to realize, like, I don't have a choice. You know, I don't have it wasn't that like I was just kind of being lazy. I couldn't get out of bed. You know, Mm -hmm. I couldn't walk straight or like my brain wasn't working. I couldn't make like like I couldn't make decisions in a clear manner. So it wasn't even like I mean, people saw the money, but they didn't see the the help my friends set up a website everybody signed up to provide a meal or to take me to an appointment because I couldn't 
have a conversation with a doctor and remember what they told me or remember all of my symptoms or remember everything. So somebody would sign up to come with me and tell them, you know, so. And are these people friends or are these some strangers? Both, you know, like we were, we were actually uh, one friend moved us into a home, like, and uh, in the city and then enlisted the entire street to feed us. So every day somebody had a day you know, and they would come and show up at the door at six, six or six thirty with dinner. Wow! And those were strangers, and they're now friends. <laughs> they're friends that I we, guess. yeah, we that I see, like I still see, you know, and just texting with some of them uh, today. But like those are, and then other friends, like, like I, we were in bed. I mean, I was in bed, and my friends went to my home and packed up my entire house and moved it without me, you know. I was still unpacking a box from that <laughs> today, you know, like it's just the things that, but so like, the, just like imagine like how much you need to let fall away. I have to let the whole idea that somebody else is go, is packing up my things, my belongings, and I'm not going to know where it is. Somebody else unpacked my kitchen and repacked it. So you walk into your kitchen and you have no idea where anything is, but you accept it. And it was, I think like, if I've learned anything, it's just like acceptance. Like I have no idea if my body's, what my body's going to be like. And I was just lying here thinking, okay, what if I'm not able to stand for my show? Well, I'll sit, you know? Okay. Well, what if I'm not able to sing? Well, I'll do as many songs as I can, you know? And it's just, it's this constant. Okay. What, what, what did music, where did music play while you were going through this? And in the initial phases, I couldn't listen to music. Um, I couldn't sing and I didn't want to listen to my my music. You know, I just made this album. They sent me a copy midway through um, and I, I left it. I put it away. I put it in a corner. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to hear other people's success stories or, you know, I was just like, I just didn't know. Like, it was just such a bittersweet thing for me. Like, I know that I love music. I know that it's a powerful thing for me. I know that playing instruments or learning is also helps me and I can help my brain, but I didn't want any part of it. And then um, so slowly but surely, you know, it's once I think more like, especially when you're driving in the car and the kids want to listen to the radio, you start listening, you know, and oh, okay. And you start to hum along and then you start to sing. I start to sing a bit and I said, well, I guess I could listen to this CD. Do you remember a time when the love of music came back to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like it was around that around this period, you know, where I started to... I, I can remember more than when the love of my own music came back because I was already started singing, you know, and kind of fiddling around the songs, like other people's and stuff. And then when I put on my CD, it was maybe like in March of this year, and uh, I was like... Oh, this is this is good. This is good. Like I've cried. I cried when I listened to the CD because I thought it's it's not bad. I don't know what I thought about it. Like I I think I because I just erased it. Mm -hmm. I erased the memory because I don't I didn't know. Right. Like when am I ever coming back? You know. And again, it's like that that acceptance of like okay, I may never get to do this again. 
So the shows that you're playing this weekend, and the one that you did recently in mm. Ottawa, obviously you had some rehearsals. What did that feel like? Well, I mean, I had my shows also in the summer. So the summer was my first time getting back. So I came back and I did two, sh- uh, like three or four shows with my a lighter band. So so I didn't have too much drums. And so this is gonna this is like this is this tour has been with drums and hearing more, louder sounds right. and. And, um, and and we should explain that you didn't do the drums because it affected you. It's so loud, right. <laughs> you know? It's so loud and my ears are still sensitive. Like, the plane ride today was really dif- difficult, a propeller plane. Yeah, with, yeah. Like, yeah, so I mean, like, I... It's just overload... It overloads my brain and I don't feel well after. So I, um... I... I felt... I think what's great about... Even if I don't know my limits, people around me know my limits, you know, or they are sensitive to the fact that there could be limits. And when I fall back into this desire to push beyond what's safe, somebody looks at me and reels me back. And that is another thing that I think I'm, is a lucky thing that, I'm, that I have, you know, from this community. People know my story and they know me and they feel invested enough in me and in my health and in my success and the success to now is now different success before would be like yeah let's help push like we're going to help her push so that she can get through this but no no one wants me to push now people want me to rest so that i can still function the next day so i remember at my rehearsal for a swing show we did at the national arts center last week um uh the guitarist and the and my my co-producer um peter Cancora, like they were Roddy, the, Roddy Lice, the guitarist, you know, we were rehearsing at his house and he was like, okay, Kelly Lee, like, why don't you go and lie down for a bit? Just take that with you and come back in a few minutes, you know? They could just see that I was fading and that I was not quite there. And, um, and you know, Peter was like, well, why don't we work on these songs first and then we don't need you for those so you can head home. Whereas before I would have stayed till the end. And, and you know, I noticed that when I went to the NAC, the sound people, were very, you know, and they're people that I have known for years also. So like they're, maybe the caring comes from that as well. But, you know, oh, well, we have this for you and we have that. They're not babying me, but mm-hmm. they're caring for me in a way that I need, you know. And so it's, I have to say that I'm lucky in that when I forget what's necessary, people around me remember. And I mean, I, I hope that, Everybody can feel that that caring, you know, in a, in the, in their situation. But I can't help but think that all this love that's been paid to you mm. was probably deserved because of all the love you gave before. Like, I want to think that. <laughs> Let's say it Let's is. Let's say it is. <laughs> but no, I mean, I just I just think that that you know whatever you gave out is coming back to you, Ross. Because I don't know if it just comes like that. Not to be pessimistic. Yeah. People say, people have said that, you know, people say like, you know, you know, you're just getting it back. But I, I don't know, like I have part of like that. We ask like, why am I so positive? I think it's because I grew up thinking that people were good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I've had that. That's my fallback. My fallback ideal, an idea of society is that people are inherently good. And i probably believe it I think I believe it I've 
it's not that I don't believe that people are inherently good, but I, I see now that people are just people. Humans are humans, you know? And so... But you've seen a lot of good. Yeah, I've seen a lot of good. And I think like, humans are humans and that every person has different aspects of them, you know? Mm. And so it's... And then some people tend to, like, skew more more good than not. So, yeah, that you know, people... I just feel like I've been lucky in that like the majority of the people that I've had in my life have shown me their good side. You know, if that once again, I think it's what you give out, you get back. (laughs) I feel, I feel like I, I feel lucky. Like I feel very lucky, and um, yeah, I, I would love that to be the truth because, gosh, that just would make life so easy. You know, just be good, and people will return it back. I think that is wonderful. That's a wonderful mm-hmm. idea. I know people out there, though, are good and have been good and are still suffering from a lot of mm-hmm. pain, you know? So I don't want to make it seem as though the reason people are going through what they're going through is because maybe they weren't good, right, <laughs> you no, know? Sure. Exactly. So, but I feel like I do feel blessed. And I, I also think that maybe the things that I experience seem more good because of the spin that I put on it you know so I'm sure that maybe somebody else might be able to take my same situation and and sell it in a more negative light Mm -hmm. but and I'm at at times in my life I'm selling I sell it like oh you know like I don't appear as as positive and it's funny because like when I hear myself like I'm can hear myself speaking to you and I feel like I'm not being positive because you were probably way over the top. Way before. over the top before, <laughs> right? To me now, I feel like I have a measured positivity. <laughs> but right? You can see the improvement. Like if I would have asked you six months ago how you felt versus how you feel today, yeah, there's definitely a noticeable. Oh, for sure. Excuse me. And um, yeah, for sure. Like there's definitely noticeable. Like when you say like improvement mentally or the improvement physically, both. Both. Yeah, I would say like. I'm probably like mentally in a similar place because it was around like it's been a while since like that I had to realize like I'm in control of my like to as much as I can be I'm in control of my my mood mm-hmm. you know so it's like so I've been in a good mood for for pretty consistently you know yeah. and I, I still have fear you know like I, I fear like um like where our income is gonna come next year you know and I don't know but um but i have more faith than fear you know and i have more hope than fear so so as you're getting back into playing you will continue doing this on a slowly slow basis and i think so but i also think like i i i realize something that you know and i'm i'm still i'm still i'm still working on the whole idea of it cuz like when I got sick, like, before I got sick, I thought that, like, you know, I had an important place and that I was needed. And then when you go away for two years, the world still goes on. And then you realize that. So before I felt like I was needed on a macro level, you know, I felt like that I had was put here on the earth to help bring light. That's what I truly believe. You know, there was like this. That, that's what I do because I could see light in people. Right. You know, I would see people light up. So I'm like, that's that's my job. And it was a very um, powerful, like, 
incentive to get out there and be out there on the macro level. And then when I got sick and I had to stay um, home, then I realized like on the micro level, there's like a little household with my three kids and me in it. And those people also need my light more so than the big level. (laughs) And so, and then look at that. The world still continues without me. And so now I feel like less, and it might come back where I feel like this like passion to come back because I have like this, this like this mission, you know, but I feel more my micro mission, which is like to make sure that like lunches were made and make sure that dinner was like planned out for today and that everybody needs to be where they're supposed to be and did did everybody take you know like do the things that they're supposed to do on any given day like in my house and like what's due and you know like there was the mom the mom mission is like a stronger mission for me than my heal the world mission and I feel like I have to Cause I realized like, it's so funny. Like my great aunt, you know, told me this story and she was like, Oh, you know, I used to work and I, I don't know. She was like maybe 80 or something when she told me the story and she was like, Oh, I used to work at this like food services place. Can't remember what it was. And like, I used to go and I was never like, I never missed a day. And she said, I I was there and I would be there at 6am and I would make these sandwiches and I would make sure that I got there and I never missed a day and she says you know and then one day I got sick and somebody else made the sandwiches Mm. and that was her story (laughs) that was her story and she just looked at me and I was like okay you know and I don't think I really got it until like I got sick and my friend my friend um amazing singer in uh in France named Sandra and Kake and like they just gave her my gig you know and she did the gig and people went and they saw that show instead you know and it was and I'm sure they had a great time because she's amazing (laughs) but it's not the same well it's not the same but it's like (laughs) it's you know and it's not the same and what she does is what she does and what I do is what I do and I'm not comparing us to sandwiches. <laughs> no, but I think, I think it's important. But, I mean, the sandu- sandwiches will be made, yeah, but it will be a different sandwich. It's a different sandwich. But I think, like, what what I tell my students at Carlton, because I'm an artist in residence at Carlton, and I say that, you know, I believe, like, our job is that, you know, on any given day, people choose to consume entertainment you know mm-hmm. and so they could like play farm crush or i don't know what those <laughs> farmville candy crush i don't know what those things are called they could watch scandal they could they could um watch porn they can you know go out to a club they can choose to do whatever they want with their time and they choose us and so our goal is to make them for me, it's to like help them feel better. A lot of times when I watch a show, it's because I want to relax or I want to feel better. I want to change my state. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that that's my job is to help change somebody's state for the time that they give to me. And I 
see it as a huge honor. When somebody pays to come to see my show, to me, it's like, wow. You know what I mean? Because you can do anything. Like, there's so much stuff out there. People can choose to do so much. You can choose to stay home and do nothing. You know, people veg out playing video games and, you know, and for some reason, they decided to come and veg out to me performing. And I hope it's a great experience for them. But I guess I just, I don't, I don't believe I'm so precious anymore that I just don't, you know? You know, I don't know you very well. I've, I've spent the last hour with you and, and I think you're pretty special. Oh, you know, with all that you've gone through, I just think that, you know, when you talk about that light, I mean, you still shine and with oh. all you're going through and that is pretty impressive to me. So... I wouldn't underestimate that. Well, okay, I'll t- <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. No. I, I think like I'm 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 like I feel like I'm in. That's why I said I was kind of in that a weird place where mm-hmm. I think like for the last two years I'm like, well, you know, people will be okay. Like if you don't see me perform for like a couple more years, it's, you'll be okay. Like that's been my thinking, you know, because I haven't had another choice. Right, <laughs> they'll but, be okay, but yeah, they'll until be okay. they see you again, and then we'll realize what they've been missing. And I think like you know, the excitement that people have shown, like when I do come, when I have come back, you know, and you just see like how excited they are and how happy they feel. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I get it that I, so like we were at a movie yesterday and like, I can't remember the quote, but it's from the movie Wonder. So people can go and watch the trailer. And the mom says something kind of like about not being normal and using your gift. And um, I wish the quote was beautiful. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, so I feel like I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, there I have a gift. I do, you know, and and I I don't want to like not use it. So I just need to figure out how to be of service and give the gift continue it because i don't want to i don't want to not use it it serves me too you know when i when i get to sing i'm also benefit it's not just that others are benefiting but how do i do it in such a way that serves my family Mm -hmm. and i haven't figured out the key yet you know how do i act how do i access as many people as i can and give them a piece of the music and the the light but still be there to tuck my kids in at night. How do I do all that? I'm yeah. not sure. I'm it's, not sure. I think you'll figure it out. Though. I think I will too. I mean, like I have to. Like that's the thing. Now I feel like more passionate because before it was like, well, I'll just get a job. You know, I was like, I'll just get a job. I've been telling people, yeah, just like if you can find me a job. And then this week I'm like, I don't fucking want a job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a job. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody that has a job. I just don't want one, you know? I don't, I can't. I don't want to be 9 to 5 I'm sorry if you're no, 9 to 5 No, no, and, and, and really, what you do is not, it is a job. It's a job. And in some ways, a, a very, very difficult job. It's a job, but I've never seen it as one, you know? Like, I mean, I, I, I just never saw it as a job. Like, I mean, I might have said, like, I'm going to work, but I didn't mean it really, like, <laughs> it's not work. It's work. It's work. It's work, but more like, I find, like, the work part is, like, the email answering like trying to like do the planning and like the like any of the booking that's work 
But if you don't do that, then you don't... You don't get the other thing. Exactly. So, like, but the actual, like, once I step foot, like, everything leading up to it is, like, oh, making sure the band ate, making sure everybody got, you know, is where they're supposed to be, like, the set lists are all done, whatever, all that stuff. That's work. But the moment I step foot on stage and I start singing, work is finished. It's, like, that's my play, you know? And so, so, yeah, I've never... Yeah, I find all that other stuff, but I would still prefer to do the other stuff <laughs> than punch a clock. Because, and it, it's crazy because I'm still like working like crazy hours to mm-hmm. do all that other stuff. But I just don't want to like, I don't know. I guess I'm like, no one's going to want to hire me now. Ah! <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> just cut everything I just said. I can't wait to get a job. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think we can't wait till you start playing more. Yeah. And I hope that happens soon. Me too. I th- you know I I'm I'm excited to go back to Massey Hall. I'm excited to go back to Hughes room. Um oh my gosh, the NAC show last week was so much fun. We did this tribute to Ella Fitzgerald. And I've always dreamt of doing like cuz I can't understand how anybody can listen to jazz and just sit there, you know? <laughs> so yeah. we had people dancing and it was so amazing and just the passion and the the joy in people's faces and I felt a little, it's, I felt like, oh, you know, people aren't coming. Like we had like a small group on stage dancing and like, I don't know, like we had a 300 people and then like maybe 30 people on stage dancing. And I remember thinking, oh, I hope other people are having fun, you know? And then somebody came up to me yesterday. I was at another event and she was like, I was at your concert. And she said, I just felt so joyful. And I was like, Oh, she said it was so great watching the dancers. And so many people wrote me afterwards just saying like they had fun watching other people have fun, you know? And I was like, okay. So I I don't know. There's something about being a conduit for that, you know? Like you just, there's something about it that's super addictive and hard to beat, you know? I'm sure. No. I can't dance, so. I would be the one Dude, watching. we had like lessons before. <laughs> you have no excuse. Well, um, I want to thank you. This has been a real pleasure. Thank Aww. you so much. And I hope I hope we can get together again and, and maybe catch up and talk about how things have improved and how much better you're feeling. And Well, I like that idea because that means there would be improvement. So, yes. yes definitely. Yes, if we're looking to like talk about improvement, yes, I would be very welcome. You know, honestly, there's just, there's always improvement, you know? Like still here i'm still here still kicking (laughs) thank you so much for this thank you very much